National media continues to exaggerate and promote misleading negative headlines designed to diminish the rule of law and those whose job it is to enforce it. Remember, the only people who want to defund the police and dismantle these agencies are the criminals. And don't forget to thank a cop. Now, let's start the show. Good morning, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. There's a lot going on in the world, and we've invited Hal to come in and and explain everything to us. Hal, are you there? I am. Can you hear me, Sherry? I can. What's going on, Hal? (laughs) Oh, just a major war in the Middle East, along with the continuing war in uh, Ukraine and the potential of of the war in Israel possibly expanding across the... uh, across the entire Middle East, and then maybe doubling gas prices. But other than that, it's a pretty calm week, other than, other than those few things. It, so, it back uh, to normal, right? Yeah, there you go. Um, yeah, uh, uh, well, of course, you know, last Saturday morning, uh, uh, Gaza launched uh, horrific terrorist attacks um, <clears throat> involved, uh, you know, actually bust. There's this very advanced fence line they built, but the whole thing was predicated on small terrorist groups trying to sneak out of, Hamas terrorist groups trying to sneak out of the Gaza Strip to do limited attacks. Well, they launched a massive wave of attacks. They had heavy equipment knocking holes in the fence. And then they uh, over a thousand Hamas terrorists uh, attacked throughout southern Israel, killing 1,300 uh, Israelis, some of the most brutal, horrific stuff things that are literally right out of the ISIS playbook, just uh, unbelievable uh, suffering, bloodshed, uh, just the horror of it is is uh, is just stunned. Well, I uh, think the world. people are trying to figure out, you know, Hamas, who are they? Are they like a domestic terrorist group, like, you you know, the Proud Boys or the Oath Keepers? Who are they? Well, they're... Well, they're, uh, they're, they are a group, uh, they actually come out of the Muslim Brotherhood of Egypt, which is the same group that kind of, in, in, you know, philosophically at least, spawned al-Qaeda and ISIS, if you, if you want to go back historically. Okay. They are dedicated to, to, to jihad, holy war uh, against Israel. However, they are, uh, to, to your point, they are more of a domestic, in, in Israeli terms, more domestically focused, they want to destroy Israel to create an Islamic Palestinian state. They're, that's their focus. They don't. They're. They have not. They don't. They don't export like ISIS did and like Al Qaeda did. They don't attack around the world. They just focus on on Israel. Now, with that said, um, even though they adopt a lot of the tactics uh, that you see with ISIS and Al Qaeda, and even though their verbiage sounds pretty similar to ISIS al-Qaeda, and of course last Friday, or this, you know, a few days ago, they said Friday is the day of global jihad, which sounds much like uh, ISIS and al-Qaeda, jihad, I should mention, meaning uh, holy war, if you will, and and there's a whole discussion on the meaning of war jihad, but they mean kinetic holy war, like in war and terrorist attacks. Um, Even though that's there, their number one backer is Iran, and uh, and with some assistance from Hezbollah, Iran's number one proxy, which is based in southern Lebanon, a little bit in Syria. However, like ISIS and Al Qaeda, they are Sunni Muslim. All right, and Lebanon and Hezbollah, or, or I should say Shiite, or, or Hezbollah and Lebanon 
and Iran are Shiite Muslim. And within the Middle East context, the Sunni-Shia split in Islam, yeah, that, that conflict may be stronger than, than the collect, whatever collective uh, hatred there was aimed at Israel years back. It has really changed a lot. And part of the geopolitical reason that Iran would want this attack to take place, hence why everyone's looking at Iran's role, is they want to scuttle the normalization of relations between Saudi Arabia and Israel. Their, their fear, obviously, is that if that happens, you have all these predominantly Sunni bloc nations that would, uh, that would have a, uh, uh, a, relation, a relationship with the strongest military power in the Middle East, which is Israel, and they would all be poised against Iran. And so, and, and to that extent, they've been kind of successful. They have really blocked. They have basically, it's, uh, as somebody has said, that was, they've really put that whole negotiation on the shelf because of what it's done. The big problem that Saudi Arabia has, has always had in normalizing relations is what to do about the Palestinians. And this brought that right to the fore because uh, now if Israel goes in there, to Gaza, on the ground especially, you know, with, with the evacuation of civilians and the fear of civilian casualties and everything else, politically it makes it very difficult for Saudi Arabia to then turn around and normalize relations with, uh, with Israel without causing uh, a great deal of, of consternation with its, uh, with, its, uh, popul- with its, you know, basically population there. Even though they're, these are primarily monarchies, they too have to be somewhat respondent to uh, to public opinion. So, it, in the news, just listening to some of what Americans are saying, they've been interviewed in the news. They're trying to figure out what's the difference between Israel, Palestine, and Hamas in the area. You, we've got people who are, you know, cheering for Palestine. You've got people cheering for Israel, and they're all mad at each other. <laughs> it's just like okay it's like nobody wants this it's like a football game nobody wants anybody to win what's going on with well, that well i will say this that that at harvard there's some people who work really hard all their lives to get into harvard mm-hmm. and then they joined a student organization that signed something and now they may never get a job okay <laughs> that's a that's a, that's got to tell you, there's a real backlash at some of the Ivy League stuff where they've come out there, some of these groups. And some of them actually, they, they make absolutely no sense. When uh, they've been confronted and they and they say, why are you, are you for these terrorist attacks? Are you for killing babies or something? I'm like, what? Huh? Yeah. Uh, no, I just came out here to protest, you know. And, and they don't know they what they're protesting. Really, they don't know what, they don't know what they're protesting. You know, all they know in their minds is they're they're protesting it's a kind of an anti-establishment thing and they see israel as establishment they see the palestinian people as uh somehow oppressed and and that's what they're really protesting that's their that's that's the big thing for them but but they you have to look at this in context now i will I tell you the israelis will say this and and certainly most western countries will say the same thing you know hamas and the Palestinian people are not the same thing. Hamas is this avowed terrorist group. It is this radical splinter 
uh, Islamic jihadist group that essentially hijacked the Gaza Strip. Uh, originally, if you go back to around 2006, 2007, when Israel finally decided to pull out of Gaza, they turned over the reins of control to the Palestinian Authority. The Palestinian Authority is actually comes out of the Oslo Accords, and that was uh, uh, previously Fatah, or the Palestinian Liberation Organization. This was their governmental group that came out of that, that the governmental group that is supposed to uh, represent Palestinian interests in the West Bank and the Gaza Strip. Well, within literally months, uh, Hamas, this radical terrorist group, took over control of the Gaza Strip. And they have maintained control of the Gaza Strip. And, you know, Hollywood can't write a more gruesome fiction movie then then what it means is you have a terrorist group with its own little mini-state. And, of course, for Israel, that own little mini-state is right next to southern Israel. And so Israel, over the many years, has been trying to contain this threat. They haven't had any success trying to figure out some way that the Palestinian people there could, you know, somehow get rid of this Hamas terrorist group representation but that's what's been going on. And, and by the way, um, the, the problem with Hamas is they don't, and this is typically a problem that, that's seen with a number of terrorist groups, but particularly with Palestinian terrorist groups, they want to go do jihad. They want to go do holy war. They want to blow stuff up. They want to shoot th- shoot people. They want to do things, but they don't want to collect the trash. They don't want to make sure the water system's running, and they don't want to make sure the potholes and the roads are filled in. They don't want to govern. And yeah. that's the problem with Hamas is they don't want it. They've never wanted to govern. They want to be in charge. They want to use it as a base for terrorist strikes in Israel, but but they've never really wanted to govern. And hence, the situation in Gaza just gets worse and worse and worse. In fact, Israel, when this thing kicked off, they said, "Look, give back the hostages, or we're gonna, or, or we'll turn off the the, the water and the electricity." Well, like Hamas that. is going to give back the hostages. Yeah, they did. And Hamas isn't going to give back the hostages. Uh, a little side note, uh, the European Union spent a lot of money building a, a huge pipeline system in Gaza that they could tap into uh, their own indigenous freshwater source that they have in Gaza. Mm-hmm. Years back, Hamas dug up the pipelines, cut up the PVC pipe, and turned it into missiles that they could fire into Israel. And the Israelis will always point this out. They'll say, yeah, this is why they don't have any water. This is what they did to the pipeline that the European Union uh, spent millions of dollars building for them as they weaponized it. And that's one of the great frustrations that comes out of Gaza, which is Hamas never wants to govern. They don't want to act like a responsible government. They just want to go out and do these terrorist attacks. And, of course, now they've done terrorist attacks that, you know, literally are on par of some of the worst atrocities we saw with ISIS. And I would point out, with ISIS, the whole world came together. Right. Uh, there was a massive international effort to stamp out ISIS. And, and uh, by the way, ISIS, atrocious attacks, not just there. Uh, I, don't, I would remind people of what ISIS did in Paris in 2015. 
absolutely horrendous. And I've been to a number of those sites in Paris where they attacked. I have talked to people who were there when the attack took place. It was uh, truly brutal. And, uh, and that's kind of where we are with Hamas. You know, they have done, they have, they have gone beyond anything uh, that they've seen before. And, uh, and so that's why, that's why Israel, uh, the language has changed. It's not contain Hamas. It's not control Hamas. It's basically eradicate Hamas as a threat. And there's a lot that goes into that phrase. So what is the world stage? Because like you said, you know, the, everybody came together to get rid of ISIS. What is the world stage doing now? Are are they a part of this eradication or what's going on? I know well, America is world, sending stuff over there. Yeah, we, we are sending uh, C-17 loads of things, primarily missiles to... Uh, to replenish the ammunition stocks for the Iron Dome system. Among the things that uh, really surprised me, you know, the, obviously I, I mentioned the, you know, they had powered power, they had uh, paragliders, basically powered paragliders uh, with terrorists flying over the fence line uh, to attack. Primarily, they attacked a big music festival where they brutally slaughtered 260 festival goers. Um, interestingly, uh, if you look at where the paragliders were, it, it, in terms of targeting, it's reminiscent of the uh, Route 91 concert attack uh, that took place in Las Vegas. And yeah. I don't know if that's something they looked at specifically, but, but you know, they don't have tall buildings around the music festival, but they did get elevation, and they were shooting into the music festival. Um, but they also fired the first day about 2,200 of these flying trash can Kassam missiles, which literally overwhelmed the Iron Dome air defense system. The Iron Dome system is very capable, but there is a point to where they're firing too many missiles for them to basically knock out all those missiles. And then they, I think they fired over 4,000 missiles to date. So it's it's overwhelming uh, missile thing. And that's one of the reasons that you've seen uh, a lot of major airlines saying we're not flying into Israel because they're very concerned about missiles raining down yeah, on the uh, David Ben Gurion Airport, I'd be yeah. concerned. Yep. So. So okay. Yeah, but, the, but the U.S. But to answer your question, the U.S. is fully behind uh, Israel. They we've got a carrier task force parked off the uh, coast. That's mostly to remind Hezbollah up north that if you get involved, there's a whole bunch of stuff in southern Lebanon, and Syria that we might help Israel destroy. If you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, but. Right now, Secretary Blinken's going around the Middle East talking to Middle Eastern leaders because they have a political problem with their own domestic base, which is um, as this thing becomes more about the Palestinian people and less about Hamas, the sentiment uh, around the Middle East is going to be uh, with with uh, Arab nations will be with the Palestinian people. And, and Israel's problem is reminding them of what they just did that, that, that you know, triggered this response. And uh, that's historically always been an issue that Israel has to deal with. So are other nations like Canada, England, Australia, are they all helping? I don't know about Australia. Um, Canada, uh, to to some degree, there may be some Canadian ships out there. There's not a whole lot Canada can do. Britain, on the other hand, yes, they have also 
They are sending in a carrier, their only carrier, uh, along with some other ships and a contingent of Royal Marine Commandos. And that may not seem like a big deal, but the Gaza Strip's a fairly small area. Yeah. And two sides are controlled by Israel. One side is bordered with Egypt, and the other side is the Mediterranean. And one way to go into there is via via the sea. But, you know, amphibious operations, uh, even commando special operations, pretty complex stuff. And uh, so it's interesting that they put the Royal Marine Commandos out there. If, for example, they need to go and do hostage rescue raids because there are Britons who are also taken hostages along with American citizens who are taken hostage by Hamas, uh, that's where you potentially could see uh, other country involvement. All right, that's where you potentially could see maybe U.S. or, or British uh, uh, commandos, special operations troops, possibly going in to rescue our own personnel. Uh, one thing, one thing I, I will say is Israel is incredibly capable. They have great special operations, special forces capabilities to go in there and do things. But if you got 150 hostages scattered all throughout Gaza, uh, no no country uh, has that many special teams that can go in and rescue 150 people, uh, certainly at the same time, but rescue a preponderance of them. And that's where you might, you know, Israel would probably welcome some assistance in helping to rescue hostages. And, of course, from our perspective, we're going to rescue Americans held hostage anywhere in the world. So uh, we'll coordinate with them. We'll ask permission to go in, but but we also have our own capabilities. And I think the Britons are pretty much the same way in that. And, and at this point, I don't think the Israelis would would probably object too much. I mean, nobody wants to put, quote, U.S. boots on the ground. On the other hand, nobody likes to see American citizens held hostage by terrorists. So, you know, there'll, there'll be some back and forth discussion as this thing progresses, shall we say. Do you think the terrorists, um, the hostages, are still alive? I think I think a lot of them probably still are. I don't know if all of them are. Uh, so there's a, I know at least one or more older hostages that have some serious medical problems uh, like diabetes. Mm-hmm. And the longer this goes, the less likely they are to survive. And uh, and if some of them were injured, shot, or something wounded. Um, you know, I'm not, I'm not, I don't believe that, uh, Hamas is going to provide them any great medical care. So the clock is ticking. The longer they're there, uh, the tougher it is to get them back safe. Uh, the other thing is too, the longer they're there, uh, the longer Hamas has to come up with ways to, uh, to, uh, booby trap them or, or or imperil them in some other way. Uh, Hamas knows that Israel's coming in. So they're going to do everything they can. And the reason they took them as hostages was to use them to, you know, a trade for uh, trade for their own prisoners being held by Israel. And then B to use as human shields to uh, deter an Israeli attack. Uh, However, I'm going to be very frank. It's, this is probably the, I don't see this deterring an Israeli attack and the way Israel's done strikes so far, you know, it's a consideration, but it's not their only consideration. Let's just put it that way. So they're taking all these people because is that what prompted all this? They want their their 
terrorist friends who are in prison let go? As we're trying to you figure out asking, what prompted this. You were asking the $64 question. <laughs> we're not, you Come know, that's uh, everybody. Well, everyone's asking this, which is what were they thinking? Yeah, what it did, sounds what like the bigger plan. Let's go to attack, but there's no end, end plan. Well, that's that's what everybody's kind of scratched their head. Now, that's where you get into hypotheticals, which is why did they do this? And and one can think that, well, maybe they they overachieved. They they actually they planned this big attack, but they didn't think it was going to get quite the response that they got. They didn't think they were going to kill as many people as they ended up killing. Um, that they were basically showing their relevance and they were hoping to force concessions or something from Israel. That's one thought. Uh, I got to tell you, that's very inconsistent. You don't fire 4,000 missiles and, and go out there and kill 1,300 Israelis on the ground like that and think that Israel isn't going to come back with everything they've got. Um, if that's the case, then this is the biggest, one of the greatest miscalculations of, of any group, any paramilitary group anywhere in the world, uh, if that's the case. The other thought was that they may have had reason to believe that if they did this, that they would then be joined in by other groups. That, uh, you know, that Hezbollah would, would start a second front in the north and that Iran would have their back and launch other things around the region and that this would trigger a larger global war, a great jihad against Western interests and against Israel, and that, um, and that this would meet their needs. And this has gone into further thoughts, which is, you know, I, I, you know, there's no secret that Tehran, Iran, and Russia have a very close relationship, uh, Iran being a major weapons provider of drones and other things for Russia in its war against Ukraine. And the question is, what's Russia's involvement in right. this? And, and and some of that has been tied to some things dealing with the cyberspace, cyber cyber uh, cyber attacks uh, preceding and after uh, this attack, um, and certainly the ones afterwards clearly were tied to uh, uh, Russian-based um, um, hacker groups, if you will, uh, like Killnet. And so the question is, did they know, were they aware that this was going to take place? Was this something that Russia kind of had its fingerprints on? And uh, and maybe Russia underestimated just how gruesome this thing would turn out to be. And so now maybe they're kind of wondering if they may have, may have uh, overstepped as well. That's all speculation. We don't know. You know, as they say, we don't have evidence. Although I'll tell you, in the intelligence world, you know, to make a decision to take action, you don't wait for courtroom evidence to, to come in and you don't have a trial. You just, you got enough to go with and you make a decision and take action. And uh, so, but they've been using that word evidence. Like we don't have evidence of Iran's direct involvement. Yeah, well, we do have evidence that Iran has been paying for them for training, equipment, uh, you know, everything else for them. So everything that they needed to do the attack, Iran provided. And since Hamas has never been able to pull off anything even close to this complicated in the past, it has all the hallmarks of being an Iranian al-Quds uh, centered plot. As one, one, uh, one Middle East observer said, uh, I wouldn't be a 
would be at all surprised to find out if there was an Iranian planning cell in Gaza that was working hand in glove with Hamas in every step of what's going on here. And and there has been uh, IRGC, um, you know, the uh, um, the Al-Quds force out of Iran. There have been their operatives over the many years reportedly in Gaza, actually training uh, Hamas in Gaza. So, uh, uh, so there, you know, is, is, is Hamas connected to Iran? Yes. Yeah. Uh, according to a Wall Street Journal article earlier this week, they actually cited a meeting in Beirut that involved Hamas, Iran, Hezbollah, and Islamic Jihad, another, um, another Islamic extremist group uh, based in uh, Gaza and based in, uh, in the Palestinian areas that they had all met and that a few days before uh, the attacks that uh, uh, um, that Iran had given Hamas a green light to conduct the attacks. All right. Now, that was Wall Street Journal. They apparently had pretty good sourcing on that, but nothing official has come out. Uh, there have been questions directed to the White House uh, on that very issue, which is, is that true? And it's kind of interesting. The White House and uh, and the administration, they don't turn around and say absolutely not. What they turn around and say is we don't have clear evidence yet that Iran ordered the strike. Yeah, there you can drive a you can drive several trucks through that gap <laughs> in interpretation. So, so what is yeah, Jordan kind of doing? What, how is this affecting Jordan? Well, uh, right away. Uh, uh, Secretary Blinken, when he went to Israel, uh, he then went over and talked to uh, uh, Abbas, the uh, head of uh, the Palestinian Authority in the West Bank. But then he went immediately over to Jordan and uh, and was talking with King Hussein. And uh, that's King Hussein has a has, let's just say Jordan and Israel have a very good relationship. All right. And the U.S. and Jordan have an extremely good relationship. And King Hussein is truly one of the great thinkers, one of the great leaders of the Middle East. Um, he's got he's got challenges. He's got a huge, you know, the majority I think of his population in Jordan are actually ethnic Palestinian, and that comes from the formation of Israel and Palestinians leaving uh, Israel, and then they settled in refugee camps in Jordan and frankly, never left. So he's the king, uh, but a big chunk of his population is actually ethnic Palestinian. And not against him, but against his father, they had once rose up and tried to overthrow the kingdom, Hmm. um, which really is kind of a point of contention with the Palestinian (laughs) population (laughs) in Jordan, all right? They're holding a grudge. That's the sort of stuff that could... Well, if you're the king, that could really be a point of irritation. Yeah. And uh, uh, so he remembers that. So he's he's trying to work this through to figure out something. But this is the challenge, is this is not one where Israel is going to launch airstrikes and maybe do a minor incursion and just leave. Yeah. They, they've had it. They've absolutely had it. We're and done at with this you. Point, yeah, Netanyahu, everybody has said the same thing. We have to eliminate Hamas as a threat. There's a lot. When you say eliminate Hamas as a threat, 
it kind of implies eliminating Hamas. And the only way you eliminate Hamas is you literally clear the Gaza Strip building by building, street by street, tunnel by tunnel, and there's a huge tunnel system. The Hamas underground tunneling system in in Gaza is actually bigger than the London Tube, to give you an idea of just how extensive that is. Oh, wow. And so, um, so there's a lot to do there. But they realize the only way they can get Hamas out is they're going to have to do that. And uh, that's why you mobilize 360,000 reserve troops, is you need everybody you possibly can get. Well, I would think it would extend further than that. Wouldn't it go all the way back to Iran? I mean, they're the ones training them. Well, that's what we're working on right now. Everybody's trying to stop this from becoming a a larger conflict. kind of goes back to what I mentioned earlier. I say it. I, I may. I may have. It may have sounded a little flippant when I said earlier, but here's the fear. All right, the fear is that the plan was that Hezbollah launches missiles from the north. Now, Hamas has thousands of missiles. Hezbollah has possibly up to 150,000 missiles. It's an enormous amount, and these are missiles with longer range, and they actually hit something as opposed to Hamas, where these Qassam missiles are essentially shorter-range flying trash cans that may or may not hit anything, all right? <laughs> flying trash the, cans. The, yeah, that's what I call them. Uh, anyway, <laughs> they, uh, they, uh, so, uh, so they want to, so their fear is that you see this massive thing that overwhelms the uh, Iron Dome system, um, rains missiles all over major metropolitan areas like, like Tel Aviv and Jerusalem, and other areas all over uh, Israel, causing massive death, destruction, um, mayhem. And then you have this 50,000-person military force, uh, paramilitary force Hezbollah, uh, doing all sorts of uh, attacks up in uh, uh, northern uh, Israel. And then if that happens, the fear is that Iran uh, weighs in, and, of course, Iran could literally shut down the Strait of Hormuz, the Persian Gulf, which would cut off all the oil coming out of there, uh, which could potentially cause oil prices, gas prices to double worldwide. And then they could, then they could basically uh, choke global commerce with their Houthi rebel uh, proxy in Yemen, which sits there right on the Bab el-Mandab Strait, where I was in August and uh, working maritime security issues. And, uh, and, and they have attacked, they have done maritime attacks in the Strait. And so they could potentially cut off the Red Sea and, uh, and, uh, and the uh, one access to the Suez Canal, cut off transit of the Suez Canal. 12% of global commerce goes to the Suez Canal. You start to see the cascading effects of where this goes, you also get to see the scope of potential U.S. military action because we would all of a sudden, if there was any attempt to shut off the Strait of Hormuz, Fifth Fleet is right there. We would have to forcibly reopen the Strait of Hormuz. Um, and that's a little bit challenging uh, because the Strait's very narrow. And then the other side is um, that uh, that we would have to find out some way of, of reopening the Bab el-Mendeb. We have a military base in Djibouti right across the water. Um, there's just, you know, there's you can sit there and scenario this thing to death, but uh, 
but we're trying to keep that big, big major regional conflict from happening. Uh, right now, the big push is keep it in the Gaza, you know, and that's why there's such a big deterrence with Hezbollah weighing in. Even though Hezbollah has claimed credit for doing some minor border attacks, they attacked a, you know, they say they took credit for attacking a border checkpoint. I don't even know if that was Hezbollah. It could have been Hamas or, or Islamic Jihad operating in southern Lebanon that did the attack, and then Hezbollah, for political purposes, claims that they did it. But nonetheless, um, nobody wants this to go into a larger conflict because of the potential implications uh, to global commerce, oil prices, everything else. Yeah, the ripple effect would be immense. Yeah, well, I got to tell you, it's, uh, it's one thing to discuss this thing, but I, there'll be another discussion that people go down to the pump and the gas station owners are having a tough time because they got to, you know, for the first time with the dollar sign, they got to do double digits yeah. uh, for a gallon of gas. So, yeah, that, that'll that'll definitely, that'll be a, That'll be a discussion item in the election. So, yeah. <laughs> yes, it will. <laughs> so, I, can you stay with us? I want to take a mm-hmm. quick break here, and, and we've got more questions. We'll be back in a few. And while we're gone, if you need to, go ahead and look up a, a map of Israel. And there's one on our website, and it'll help follow along with everything that's uh, being said. Lawmatters1030.org is a nonprofit that needs your support in El Tour de Tucson, either by riding a bike or walking in the 5K. To support us while we support law enforcement, please go to Lawmatters1030.org support page to sign up. We'll see you there. This is JL reminding you the City of Tucson election is vote by mail only. Ballots will be mailed October 11. Please look for your ballot, fill it out, and drop it in the mail by October 31st. In-person ballot drop-off locations are listed on the county recorder's website. Let your voice be heard. Vote for a cleaner, safer Tucson. Law Matters Live Show works hard at keeping you informed on current issues from all law enforcement agencies, including any changes in both the tax and mortgage loan rules. I host the show as a volunteer. My real job is working for a mortgage broker with over 20 resources in residential, commercial, jumbo, as well as a reverse mortgage company whose new rule is offering tax-free money to those 55 and older, qualifying for up to $4 million. If you want to learn more, call me after the show at 520-310-9900. LawMatters1030.org is a nonprofit that needs your support in El Tour de Tucson, either by riding a bike or walking in the 5K. To support us while we support law enforcement, please go to LawMatters1030.org support page to sign up. We'll see you there. Thanks for staying with us. On the phone, we have Hal Kempfer, who is the CEO of Global Risk Intelligence Planning, GRIP. <laughs> and we're talking about what's going on globally. And it's it's a little concerning. I've, I've never heard, you know, you hear about wars, but I've never heard of the, just the incredibly heinous activities that are going on over there with the mutilation of people and they do this in the name of jihad what what kind of religion wants this to happen well i could tell you that uh 
most most Muslim nations and, and certainly most imams would 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 sit there and say what they're doing is not permissible uh, in Islam. They would be very clear about that uh, any more than this would be permissible if it was done by a, a say a Christian extremist group. It would not be permissible either. And there, and by the way, you don't have to go too far back in history uh, to find some other heinous things that were done in the name of Christianity, shall we say? They, yeah, I can tell you, if you're in the Middle East, they bring up the Crusaders like it was yesterday. All right, and uh, we go that was a thousand years ago. <laughs> well, you know, hey, they're they're still a little irritated with that. So they're still anyway, fighting it. Um, Still fighting it, yeah. And and by the way, they they'll refer to the U.S. as you know, the 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 crusader and stuff. You know, with at least the terrorist groups, well, the more extreme jihadist groups. That's certainly how Al Qaeda would describe us as the modern inheritors of the uh, of what the crusaders were doing to the Middle East and stuff. Uh, it's really kind of interesting, though. Originally, with the formation of Al Qaeda, there were two factions. And one faction, led by, uh, pretty much led by uh, bin Laden, wanted to do global jihad. They just wanted to attack the West, all right? The other faction really wanted just to focus on Israel and Palestine. Uh, and it was a, kind of a back and forth. Now, the faction that was led by, actually the main leader of the faction led, that wanted to do that with al-Qaeda, uh, he had a, a, a tragic death which has always been rather suspicious, all right? And bin Laden triumphed in that little discussion they had. But it's interesting with Hamas, they're almost, you know, Al-Qaeda has been largely, not completely destroyed, but largely destroyed, neutralized worldwide. Uh, ISIS has been largely destroyed as well. And Hamas now seems to be, in the in the absence of this global jihadist thing, Hamas seems to be picking up a little bit of that mantle. And while focused on the Palestinian issue, you know, wanting to eradicate Israel, or basically their avowed goal is to destroy Israel um, to create a Palestinian state, uh, they they also, in the midst of this, turn on call for a global jihad. And so semantically, it's kind of interesting where they're repositioning Hamas in this whole mix, although many would probably say they've always been there. It's just we're seeing it more now because of what just happened. But it is kind of interesting. What has changed, though, over the years is that ISIS and al-Qaeda have been largely destroyed. So that's the big change that took place. I mean, Hamas was there, but, but frankly, for many years, and, and I say this, having done counterterrorism training all over the country, uh, we'd mention Hamas, but I wouldn't spend a whole lot of time on it because it was a very localized, regionalized threat in the Middle East. It wasn't something that that really uh, that that was something that the U.S. had to worry about. Of course, now the U.S. has to worry about it. So, well, I've heard other people talk about you know uh, they basically used this Trojan horse idea of attacking Israel and they've got this you know the China is doing things that maybe should be looked at I don't know if they're looking at it but between the balloon and their their quasi police stations and just all kinds of things going on 
is America being too laid back? Do we need to, you know, have our antennas up on China? Uh, I, we do. And we have, I, I will say this, uh, there's a, there is a lot going on in the West Pacific. It's not that we're hiding what we're doing in the West Pacific. It's just with so much other news, it kind of gets pushed to the back. Now, I pay attention to this stuff. But then again, Sherry, I'm a little weird, okay? I, this is what I do, okay? <laughs> well, that's why I'm, I'm relying on you to keep track. <laughs> I, I pay a lot of attention to this stuff, and, uh, and I, I do go to the West Pacific, and I work with uh, you know our allies over there uh, on maritime security issues, which is like one of the big issues dealing with China and the South China Sea, shall we say. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's, uh, you know, there's a lot of stuff going on there with with certainly the Philippines and the confrontations they're having with the uh, uh, Chinese Coast Guard and their maritime militia and the incursion of China into, you know, the exclusive economic zones of countries like the Philippines, uh, Vietnam, and other countries. This is a really big challenge. Now, hypothetically, all right, this is, this is the concern as, you, as we kind of go back, why would Hamas do this? All right, are they? And and I've actually heard that they're they're a death cult, and there may be some truth to that. All right, um, because this is this for for any group to do this is kind of a suicide move, yeah. you know, for any terrorist group. This is one that brings a response so heavy. It's like aha, it's like well aha, you know, now we're going to come in and crush you. Is aha? All right, <laughs> that would that would be uh you know. There's no more Hamas. Right. That's the communications going to Hezbollah, which is you may think it's, uh, you know, you want to jump in on this thing. But if you do, there will be no more Hezbollah. So if you really think it's that important to you, you know, think about that a little bit because there are consequences. That's kind of the communication. Not quite in those words, but you get the idea that's yeah. going to Hezbollah right now on this whole thing. Now, if Iran want Iran's immediate goal is to thwart this Sunni Muslim nation and Israel bloc, which could contain and potentially, you know, confront the Shiite bloc led by Iran. At that point, you have such a powerful amalgamation of nations across the Middle East that Iran would be really constrained in whatever they were planning on doing. All right. Uh, and and would have very and and have potentially, uh, if Iran was to say develop a nuclear weapon, they would be poised to launch a huge strike against Iran that they currently may not be able to quite manifest. So that would be a concern Iran has. Russia's interests are to stop ammunition deliveries and and weapons deliveries to Ukraine. Uh, this is kind of a hail mary play for them, which is get a major Middle East war going that is so big that that they have to divert ammunition to support that war in the Middle East and they can't support Ukraine. And then they would hope that somehow they would be able to turn around their battlefield fortunes on the battlefield to Ukraine. And then China's interest would be, hey, if we're planning something militarily in the Far East, let's have these major wars in Europe and the Middle East going, which diverts the attention of the United States and resources of the United States right. so that they would be slower to respond to back up Taiwan 
should we decide to go into Taiwan? Again, that is purely hypothetical. It is just something that they, you know, everyone looks at and go, you look at national interests, it, more than anything else, you know, there is no evidence, if you will, that says this is some, you know, vast global conspiratorial plot. Uh, but if you look at national interests, there would be interest in China in seeing this, there would be interest in Russia seeing this, and certainly tremendous more direct interest with Iran uh, for something like this to happen. And uh, whereas we can't, you know, there's nothing really to to prove the Chinese or, or Russian involvement per se, uh, other than, you know, Iran and uh, Iran and Russia are very tight. Iran and China are kind of tight and Russia and China are extremely tight. Um, that other than that, you know, you can't really, uh, you can't you can't say this is this vast global conspiracy to do this stuff, but it does kind of line up with certain national interests around the world. Yeah, it does. And and I think and I think with that, that's part of our concern. You know, we kind of look at this and go, okay, so what do we do? Let's try and contain this thing to just the Gaza Strip. And if it's just the Gaza Strip, and Israel can deal with the Gaza Strip issue, and whatever that turns into on the back end, that's a big discussion, which is, okay, so you go in and you clear out Hamas, then what? And I think the U.S., I know the U.S. is talking to uh, Israel about the then what piece in a major way, um, that, uh, that maybe this thing could be throttled back. And, and frankly, you know, depending on how long it takes, it's not something that's going to happen overnight, but uh, depending on how long it takes, you know, if they can wrap up this Gaza Strip thing, um, you know, in, in, in a few weeks, which is really kind of optimistic, uh, but at least the main the main war fighting piece of the Gaza Strip could be wrapped up in a few weeks, then uh, that would allow them that would allow kind of a uh, a reset in terms of global ammunition supplies, so you don't see this big disruption to Ukraine, and and uh, and we'll see where it goes. I will tell you one thing though. Um, Bibi Netanyahu mm-hmm. has been looking at what um, what Putin has been saying, which has been somewhat supportive of the Palestinians, supportive of Hamas in an indirect way. Yeah, uh, they're you know they're looking very much at all these cyber attacks coming out of Russian-based hacker groups or whatever, and uh, whatever this uh, sort of ambivalent attitude that Israel has had towards uh, supporting Ukraine in a more forceful way, uh, that may change. That may change. One thing that uh, Ukraine has been asking for is the Iron Dome system from Israel. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't be surprised in the next 30 to 60 days if we don't hear something about Israel, depending on what happens with this particular war, shall we say. I wouldn't be surprised if you see Israel talking about sending Iron Dome systems to Ukraine. Now, explain uh, to the listeners what the Iron Dome system is. It's a very advanced air defense system. Uh, uh, It is a full system. There's radars, uh, uh, tracking stuff, all sorts of things to do to figure out exactly where a missile's coming from and where it's going. And then there's these uh, missiles. They're about $50,000 a piece, but they have a bunch of these missiles that, that fire up and then take out whatever missile they're trying to intercept. It has been very effective, uh, although, like any other system, 
if you fire enough missiles at the same time, which is kind of what Hamas did, you can oversaturate the uh, airspace to the point where the Iron Dome can't intercept everything. The Iron Dome has been so effective, though, that that music festival mm-hmm. that was attacked where 260 people were killed, initially what they heard at the music festival was a bunch of uh, missiles coming out of Gaza Strip. And then they saw the Iron Dome intercepting the missiles. And frankly, what's, what what numerous number of them have said is we didn't worry about it first because we trusted the Iron Dome would stop all the missiles. And they had kind of gotten used to this idea that the Iron Dome is this impenetrable shield that protects them against missile launches from the Gaza Strip. Unfortunately, they weren't paying attention to the fact that, that there were powered uh, paragliders uh, with bomb and machine gun toting terrorists that were flying into the music festival and people coming across the fence line uh, across the ground to attack them. Uh, and for a lot of them, it was just too late. By the time they realized this was uh, not just a missile thing that was much more, uh, they couldn't get out of there. And uh, I got to tell you, 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 you go through this thing, it is what what the what Hamas did is so horrific on so many levels, and and literally a one day loss of life that hasn't been seen since the Holocaust or World War II. I'd say one day loss of Jewish life that hasn't been seen since the Holocaust or World War II. That whatever they thought they were going to accomplish, they have they have mobilized the nation of Israel in a way that really hasn't been seen in 50 years since uh, Yom Kippur. Not coincidentally, they did the attack exactly on the 50th anniversary of Yom Kippur. Yeah, I I read that. Uh, The attack 50 years ago. Yeah. So So do you think that Israel is going to be successful in in wiping out Hamas? I I think they will. Actually, I think think the resolve uh, at this level... And uh, they're doing something they've talked about for many years with Hamas was they've said the only way to get rid of Hamas is we literally have to go in there and, and clear the entire Gaza Strip. And and for the first time that I can remember, they've actually marshaled the forces that could potentially go through and literally clear the Gaza Strip. Just level it? and uh, Maybe. How? What? Yeah, can you hear me? I can. can now you broke up a little bit. Oh, I said, I said, I'm sorry. I said there are some Israeli politicians, more far right, that have talked about turning Israel, or turning uh, Gaza Strip into a parking lot. Um, that, that's an exaggeration. But uh, what I will say is, they're going to go in there. And part of what you see is, if you look at this, what do you want to do? Well, if you want to run raids. Uh, for hostage rescue in Gaza, you want to get as many civilians out of there as possible. When you're sending a small special operations team to do a hostage rescue raid, you want to eliminate them coming across civilians. And in that densely packed urban area, there's just so many civilians, it makes it almost impossible for a, uh, a, a hostage rescue force to get in there without getting uncovered. So what do you want to do? You want to move them out. So what do they do? They said, get out. You got 24 hours. Now, they didn't invade in 24 hours uh, and go into Gaza, but they definitely, you know, they knew Hamas wanted to keep the civilians there as human shields. Right. So they put a real tight time frame, said, get out. And what you saw was a lot of Palestinians 
complaining very loudly, talking about how it's impossible, and then literally going down the road and getting out. And uh, and so that's part of their plan is to do that so they can clear out that area. And I think once they clear Gaza, the question is, well, what do you do with all these Palestinians? You screen them going back in, and you have a chance to screen every single individual going back into the northern part of the country. And anyone you think is Hamas, you pull them out. And there's probably a huge database of folks connected to Hamas, and they're going to be going through, but they're going to screen everybody going back. And then once you get them back, you uh, you say we're going to clear the southern part of Gaza Strip. And you kind of do the same thing in reverse, except you have this massive screen line, and that's part of the Hamas elimination scheme, which is you literally are pulling Hamas operatives, Hamas sympathizers, out of the mix of humanity in the Gaza Strip. And so that's kind of some of the stuff I think that we're going to be seeing here is this massive screening operation. And uh, and it'll be pretty extensive. I mean, you're probably going to see, you know, not ten, tens of thousands. You may see hundreds of thousands of uh, Palestinian residents of uh, Gaza being, quote, detained for an extensive period of time while they figure out just how culpable they are with uh, with the Hamas attacks. And people need to understand that the Palestinians are not Hamas. The Palestinians are not Hamas, um, per se. Well, the Hamas are Palestinian. Let's just put it that way. And Hamas is the governing body of the Gaza Strip. And uh, many in Israel point this out. Look, they've been in charge since 2007. There's been no secret of what they want to do. Their avowed purpose in life is to destroy Israel. And, you know, some on the more extreme side will turn around, and I actually have heard this said on, on, on various folks. They said, look, you know, not all the Germans were sympathizers with the Nazis, but in 1945, when, uh, when, they were going, when the Allies were going into Berlin, you know, that was a distinction without a point. You know, and, 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 you know, one can make a, make a point and say, well, they should have risen up against Hamas. Well, they, they never did. And they say, well, Hamas is, they're armed. It's like every government is armed. You know, it's yeah. always dangerous to rise up against a government, but they never did. That's the point is the Israelis will point out there was never any street protests. There was never any plea to the international community, please come free us from these terrorists that control our country. None of that. They tolerated these guys forever. And now Hamas has brought, not not surprisingly, has brought the weight of the world on their heads. And it's like, you know, that's just part of being part of a country. You know, it's uh, unfortunately, it's a sad state of affairs. But, you know, that's just, you know, 30 they're seconds. embedded there. Yeah, they're embedded there, and, and that's just, uh, they'll, they'll, they'll obey international law, but they're doing what they can. Well, at least they're all in one spot, so they'll be easy to find. <laughs> so Hopefully. Yes, yeah. <laughs> yes, hopefully this will be a short-lived situation. I want to thank you so much for coming on and explaining all this to us. It makes a lot more sense now and in the history that goes with it. And until next week, I want everybody to shop local and stay safe. Have a good weekend, Hal.